welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 22nd of April 2012, entitled, Will I Know You in Heaven? And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, if you'd like to open your Bibles this evening uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What do we know 1 Corinthians 13 as in the Bible? What's its nickname? What's it often called? Huh? Anybody remember? The love chapter, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, often called the love chapter. We're going to read the, it's only 13 verses. We're going to read those 13 verses, focus in and trust and pray that the Lord will meet with us and speak to us through his word this evening. Let me invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. Word of God says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Verse 8 says, Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. But then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Father, we thank you again this evening for this time that you've allowed us to have together. Father, thank you for each one that is here this evening. Thank you most of all that, Lord, for thee one that is here. We thank you for being here with us yourself. Thank you for your word that we have and your spirit within us. We pray now that you would take, and over these next moments, that you would speak to our hearts that which needs to be spoken in the power of the Spirit. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, certainly as we look at this passage, it is known as the love chapter. And boy, there's so many things. It's a tremendous passage. You know, it's easy to speak those words I love you, or I love so-and-so, or I love something or somebody. 
Problem is, we love everything. <laughs> You've heard me say before that we, you know, we, you know, we love our food, we love our sleep, just like we love somebody. Uh, we just toss that word around so much. But you know, the Bible tells us here with this love that it's <laughs> it's more than just a feeling. It's more than an emotion. It's an action. And, of course, we see many things about love here that it's far more than just speaking the words. But I want to draw your attention specifically down uh, to the latter part of that, uh, that chapter. Uh, and, of course, uh, as we look there, there are often a lot of questions that are asked either of ourselves or to someone else or someone else to us about what it's going to be like in heaven. Uh, there are so many areas that we wonder about. And, you know, just to give you a few that I certainly have been asked to me in past times is, you know, just what kind of existence will we have there? You know, what's, what is it going to be like? What kind of a, uh, if you would, of, of, of bodies are we going to have? Uh, you know, Jesus has gone and promised to prepare a place a home for us. What are those homes going to uh, to be like? I've even had asked a number of times, you know, what, all of eternity, what are we going to do for all that time? <laughs> We're going to have an awful lot of time. What are we going to be spending it doing? I've had asked, you know, what language that we're going to speak. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll be the Queen's language or not, folks, but uh, it'll be one that we'll all understand. I can promise you that. Uh, of course, one that's dear to a lot of people's heart is, are we going to be able to eat in heaven? You know, and if so, what kind of food is there going to be? And sometimes some of us come up with our own little sayings about some of those favorite things that we enjoy that, boy, we're going to enjoy that in heaven. Simple truth is that if we go before the rapture, one of the most, I guess, frequent asked questions is are we going to be able, once we get there, to know each other and to know people back here? When we get to heaven, are we, be, are we, are we going to be able to see back here and see what's going on and see what everybody else is doing? I heard the story one time, and it was supposed to be true. I wasn't there. I don't know. But it was told of a famous athlete. He happened to be a baseball player. And this specific baseball player, of course, uh, uh, all of his life he had played, and his, and his dad was blind and had no sight whatsoever. But every time he played baseball, his dad was right there in the stands, and he was cheering him on, and he was shouting his son's name. And, you know, he couldn't see a thing that was going on. But he could tell when they told him. He knew when his son was up at bat. He knew when his son was involved in a play, and he was there to support him every game. Well, it's told that it happened to be a day that uh, this father died and went on to be in heaven. The son had a baseball game scheduled for that day, and nobody expected him to turn up, but he turned up to the field to play. They said, what in the world are you doing here? You know, you, your dad died this morning. said, you know, what are you doing here? We don't expect you to be here today. And it said that he said to him, he said, all my life, my dad's been sitting in those stands supporting me and cheering me on. He's never once been able to see me play. Today, this was for him because he can finally see me. You say, preacher, is that true? I don't know. 
You see, as we look through the scriptures this evening, there are some things that we don't know. Could that dad really see his son that day? I don't know. I do know one thing. I know that that dad had a sight that he'd never had before, before he left this world. But there are a lot of things that we don't fully understand. Some of these things that we ask can be very easily answered as we look into the Bible. Some of them, folks, we simply aren't going to know until we get there. And it's just that simple. Uh, one thing is certain. All of man's wisdom, all of man's intellect will never be able to understand and explain them all. We find another passage that is right here in, in 1 Corinthians also. You turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I just want to give you some scriptures this evening that I hope will encourage you, excite you, make you look forward to your trip to heaven one day a little bit more. First Corinthians chapter 2, notice what the Bible says beginning here in verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Keep that verse in mind. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. And we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Again, there's a lot of things there, but in the context of all that we see and that we 
read in this passage, we find that many today, they would come and, and, and try with their wisdom of man and their enticing words, sometimes to be smarter than even God's word, to be able to explain things that God himself has chosen not to explain. I like what the Apostle Paul said. This man was one of the greatest educated men of his day. He had all kinds of education. He had all the credentials. And yet he said, I haven't come to you with enticing words, trying to show off my wisdom. You know, so many times we can hear what is supposed to be the word of God. We can hear men with great abilities of being able to speak and to preach and to teach and to just reel people in with how smart that they are. Again, I like what the Apostle Paul said with all, you know, <laughs> I've said before, I've never found anywhere in God's Word that God tries to encourage stupidity, that God tries to somehow encourage ignorance. But the wisdom that we need is a wisdom of God. Paul didn't come. He came preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do we recognize today that not just the lost world, but that many Christians are being enticed away from the simple truths of the word of God through the enticing words and abilities of man? Folks, we need, if you would pardon the oppression, we need to keep it simple, stupid, as they say. <laughs> We need to keep it so simple that everybody can understand it. We don't need to impress people with our, our big fancy words and our great wisdom and intellect that man has given us. But in all of this, as we see and as we try to, to grasp and understand, I want you to keep in mind as we look at these few things tonight what the Apostle Paul said. You see, with everything that's said, and everything that's done. And it takes spirituality. It takes a spiritual man to understand spiritual things. The natural man can't understand them. But let's grasp this and understand this. When we ask all these questions about heaven, boy, I like this idea. I have not seen. Do you understand that you have never, not just you, but nobody, no eye has ever seen, nor ear heard. Nobody's ever heard an explanation, no matter how great that it was. If it was the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher that ever walked the face of the earth, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it even entered into the heart of man. Not only have you not seen it or heard it, you haven't even been able to think it. <laughs> Your mind will not go there. It is impossible the things which God has prepared for them that love him. That's important. Keep that in mind. 13 is the love chapter. We saw all those things about love. This matter of them that truly love God. You see, the Bible's saying here, you try to figure it out. He wants us. He's given us, he's given us some insights. So we're going to look at a few of those. We're just going to try to answer one of those questions. You know that I said, will I know you in heaven? Will you know me in heaven? Will we know each other in heaven? Will we know our loved ones that have gone before us in heaven? 
We need to understand before we start, there's a whole lot more that we don't understand about heaven than there is that we do. And what we do understand, it's so great, it's so far beyond anything that we've ever experienced on this earth. And yet, we haven't even been able to get our minds to go to the wonder of all that's there for us. God, through the Holy Spirit, you see the mind of Christ, Jesus Christ, living and dwelling within us with our greatest understanding. Only he can give us that which really is worth understanding anyway. Our focus this evening, will we know each other in heaven? And if we're going to know each other, what will our relationships be like? Husbands, wives, children, parents, relatives, friends, the people we don't like so much. <laughs> we wouldn't call them enemies, but what's our relationship with people going to be like? Well, for a lot of people, there's one verse which was in our original reading this evening that many would use as a proof text in saying that, yes, we're going to all know each other. I'm sure you've heard it quoted sometimes correctly and sometimes incorrectly. As a matter of fact, I've heard it quoted more times incorrectly than I have correctly. How many of you have over your years, limited or many as a Christian, have heard it say that the Bible says you'll be known as you're known? You'll be known as you are known. Well, that's not what the Bible says here. That's not what it really says. Many people say, yeah, the Bible says you're going to be known as you are known. Well, verse 12 here of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 actually says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Right now. It's like a smoked glass. It's like a mirror. It's like an image, if you would. We're not seeing clearly the clear picture. We're seeing reflections of it. And it's kind of dim, and we're not able to see all that well. But then it's going to be different right now. It's all kind of dim. It's like a reflection. But then we're going to be face-to-face, face-to-face. You know what it means to be face-to-face with somebody right there in your face? I've told you before, I've had some people too face-to-face to me. I can remember my T.I. or D.I. or whatever you want to call him in, in, in boot camp. I can remember when he was about that face-to-face with me and he was screaming at the top of his voice. That's a little bit too face-to-face for me. I could see and hear very clearly. There was no dimness. There was no reflection. We were face-to-face. The simple truth is, is that in the matter of spiritual matters, in the matter of understanding God, of knowing God and the things of God, right now at our best, we can get a reflection of it. But there's coming a time when we're going to be face-to-face. There'll be no reflection. There'll be no dimness. He goes, he says, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. You see, the Bible doesn't say you're going to be known as you're known. (laughs) The Bible says, then shall I know even as also I am known. Now, Back up and look what it says there in verse 9. It says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. If we only know in part, then remember, prophecy, 
prophecy for our day, the telling forth of the Word of God, that gift of being able to teach the Word of God, to, to declare it forth what God has said in His Word. If we only know in part, we can only prophesy in part. We can only prophesy that which we know. And then, of course, in verse 12, he says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Both of these verses are, are dealing with this matter of only knowing in part. But something changes. Something changes that knowing in part to knowing the same way that I am known. Then shall I know even as also I am known. Look just a couple of pages back in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Notice what it says there just in the first few verses. He says, now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but... There it is again, that charity, that love edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. He says in verse 3, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. You see, you can't separate these things. The context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is charity. It is love. As we look at these things here, if we keep that in mind, there's something that happens here, something that changes our knowing and our very best right now. We know in part, but then we're going to know in a different way. We're going to know in the same way that we are known. What does that mean? Verse 9 said, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but notice the next verse, but, <laughs> but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. That's when the change takes place, when that which is perfect is come. Now, there are a lot of good debates about that verse, and I know you've probably heard some of them and read some of them. What in the world is that which is perfect? Well, some would say that that which is perfect is the Word of God. Well, do you believe the Word of God is perfect? I do. I believe the Word of God is perfect, but I also know this. That can't be what he's talking about here because I'm not face-to-face -face with him yet. I've just got through studying all these passages at my very best, even with, with the Lord showing me spiritually everything that's in here, I only know in part. I can live a lifetime, and I can never know the depths of God's Word because I only have a reflection. I'm only able to know in part. My eyes haven't seen. My ears haven't heard. I haven't even been able to think of what God has in store for us in the place that he's prepared for us. Some say it's the return of Christ. <laughs> Boy, there is no doubt <laughs> that Christ is perfect. Is that the that which is perfect that is being talked about here? Well, there is a problem there. Because when that happens, that's the event that is going to 
bring some things to a finish called prophecies and knowledge. Well, if I read my Bible, I believe literally that Jesus Christ is going to return and he's going to take us out of here. But I'll tell you something. There's seven years of tribulation here on this earth where there's still a whole lot of prophesying and teaching and preaching that's still going to be going on. People are still only going to know in part during those years. So, yes, the Word of God is perfect. And, yes, Jesus Christ is perfect. But that doesn't jive up with what's taking place here when that which is perfect is come. You see, there are others that believe as as I believe he is most likely referring to here that he's talking about, folks, <laughs> that eternal state when you and I, when we're face-to-face -face with our Creator, finally, and we're in that glorified state, that perfect state, when that which is perfect is not just the Word of God and not just Jesus Christ, but when we've all been made perfect just like Him. When that which is perfect has come, oh, there'll be no more mirror images, <laughs> no more knowing in part. Knowing in part is totally done away with then. The Bible says at that point, we're going to know even as also we are known. You see, consider all the context of these verses, this matter of love. This knowing in part and this being known as we are known. What we read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, when you, when you think you've got it all figured out, he said, huh, you don't know anything yet. <laughs> you think you got all the answers? Guess what? <laughs> you don't know anything is what God says about it. <laughs> There's coming a day. When you will know, right now you still, at the very best, you only know in part. There's coming a day when you will know, when that which is perfect has come, when you will know in the same way that you're known. What is that? Who really knows you? Who really knows you except God? Do you know this? God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows everything about you. You see, it's my love for him. This is all. You can't take the love away from it. It was his love for me that saved me. My love for him. That proves that I know him. You see, I don't think you really know him without loving him. The problem is today is too many people, most of the world around us, they don't know him. If they really knew him, they would love him. That's why the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God because, folks, through here you'll know him. And when you truly know him, you can't but love him. We find that here in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Well, we don't need to make it say something that it doesn't. It doesn't say that we'll be known as we are known. It doesn't say that, but we don't need it to say that. We need it to say what it says. It does say that when that which is perfect has come, 
knowing in parts going to be done away with. That partial knowledge will be no longer. And I'm going to know in the same way that I'm known. And when you compare verse with verse, I believe that means in the same way that God knows me. <laughs> in a way that I've never, ever, ever even known myself before. One day, you see, this is God that this is focused around. One day, I'm going to know in the same way that I am known. Does that mean I'm going to know you in heaven? Does that mean you're going to know me in heaven? Well, I believe it does. Not because of it being misquoted, but because of the proper context. Because you see, if we read it in its context, it's about God's love for us. It's about our love for him. It's about the permanence of love, the fact that love overcomes and outlasts everything else. Nothing else matters without love. One day in our eternal state, all of that partial knowledge is going to be done away with. We're no longer going to see just mere reflections through a mirror. But then I will know in the same way that I am known. I will know in the same way that God knows me. And let me let you know a little secret. That being the case, <laughs> I'm not only going to know you in heaven, I'm going to know you better than I know you now. <laughs> because now, no matter how much any of us know about each other, it's all partial knowledge. It's all partial knowledge. But one day, we're going to be able to know in the same way that we are known. And God's the only one that knows us now. And so, yes, I do believe that I will know you and you will know me better than we've ever known each other in all of our lives. But it's not based on just that one scripture that is many times misquoted. I want to give you just a few others. You see, I believe that I'll know you in heaven. First of all, because of reassuring scriptures. Yes, the ones that we've looked at here, but we find a number of passages also. I want to give you a couple and see if you can note the common link. Notice, first of all, back in the Old Testament, right back to Genesis chapter 25. In Genesis chapter 25, and notice what it says here in verse 8, at the death of Abraham. It says, then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man. I hope they can describe me that way someday if the Lord tarries, amen. And full of years, the Bible said. But notice what it says happened to him. When he gave up the ghost, he was and was gathered to his people. Well, it's not talking about the people on this earth. <laughs> the only ones that can be talking about, I see there, is those that have gone on before him. We find also, if you turn over into the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Judges chapter 2, and notice what it says in verse 10. It says here, and also all that generation were gathered. Now, he's talking here about 
Joshua. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. So what happened to this generation? Joshua, again, if you read up before that, you find that, you know, he was like 110 years old, and the Bible's talking about literally all that generation being gathered unto their fathers. Notice just a few pages over in 2 Kings chapter 22. In 2 Kings chapter 22, and the Bible says in verse 20, it says, Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. Then I shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. They brought the king word again. Folks, these are just examples. There are others. These that are being taken from this world. And when they were taken from this world, they were either gathered unto their people or gathered unto their fathers that had gone before them. And so we find that these were being gathered together in heaven. I also like another scripture which I think oftentimes brings great encouragement. Second Samuel chapter 12. We find that... You know, David was a man after God's own heart, but boy, did he mess up bad. And he paid some consequences, folks. He might have been a man after God's own heart, but that did not excuse sin in his life. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, notice what he says. Let's read verse 22 and 23. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? The child was dying. While he was alive, David fasted and wept and prayed for that child that God might do something. But what happened? Verse 23, but now he is dead. It wasn't God's will. That was part of the price that David had to pay. But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Why should I fast now? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David said, he's not coming back to this earth, but I know one day I'm going to him. You see, we have reassuring scriptures. I believe that I can say to you, based upon God's word, will I know you in heaven? Will you know me in heaven? I believe absolutely, not only because of reassuring scriptures, which all of it, we can look at any of these and call them that, but also of related stories. There's one story that Jesus himself relates to us in the gospel of Luke chapter 16. Do you remember what we find in that chapter? Notice what he says beginning in verse 19. He says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with their crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried 
And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his tongue in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. The simple truth is that as we look at this passage, yes, things were different then. This was paradise. This was when we had Abraham's bosom and hell, Hades. They were both in a place where they were separated by a gulf that nobody could get across. Now we get into another subject, but I believe that that was when Jesus Christ, when he went into the heart of the earth, when he was buried on that cross while he was in the grave for three days. The Bible says he went and set those captives free. Paradise, that's what he said to the thief on the cross. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, not in heaven. They couldn't go to heaven yet. Jesus hadn't died and paid the price yet. The blood hadn't been shed. But boy, after he paid for them, he went and delivered them out. I believe the Bible probably when he talks about hell having enlarged herself, that's probably when it happened because paradise moved out because the price had been paid. But what I do want you to recognize about this story, it's some call it a parable. Well, it wouldn't really matter because a parable's there to teach you truths, and, and, and I don't know what else the Lord could be teaching us, you know, if, he, if these weren't real people, but I don't see anything in Scripture to tell us this is a parable. These were real people. These were people that lived here upon earth, and Jesus is telling us about what happened to them when they left this world. So there's no reason to think that it's a parable. But as we look here, we find that both of these men, whether they went to heaven or hell, they were very conscious. They knew who each other were. They knew who was still back on earth. Now, it doesn't say he could look back and see that, and so I can't, I can't tell you that. But I'm saying when he got there, he was still conscious this man, this rich man, opened it, lifted up his eyes, being in torment and hell. He was still conscious that he had family back there on earth that weren't ready to face God, and they were going to come to the same place as him. And boy, he didn't want that any way in the world. You know, one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things that we have to do in this life is to see those leave this world unprepared to meet God. I've had to preach a lot of funerals in my life, none so hard as those that there is absolutely, we don't know anybody's heart, <laughs> but when there is absolutely no fruit, no testimony to show us that there's a hope in their life for something after, oh, that's a terrible way to see somebody leave this. What I want you to realize this evening is, folks, will I know you in heaven? Will you know me? I believe so because of these reassuring scriptures that we have, but also because of the related stories that Jesus Christ himself told us about what it's like beyond this grave. You see, they were both conscious. They both knew what was going on around them. And I believe that they were conscious. They still knew each other, even though they were in different places. I don't know. That'll be the same since things have changed. I don't know. That doesn't matter. 
The fact is they recognized who they could see. They knew who they were. And I believe that in itself should reassure us as well that we'll know each other when we get to heaven. I'll give you something else. Still in the Gospel of Luke, turn back to chapter 9 with me. Again, this is a very familiar account. Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. And notice what it says beginning, beginning in verse 27. Jesus said, but I will tell you of a truth. There be some standing here which shall not taste of this till they see the kingdom of God. It came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. Behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. When they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. It came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud, and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. They kept it close and told no man in those days any of these things which they had seen. What happened here? You see, we can know this not only because of reassuring scriptures and related stories, but because of returned saints. <laughs> Moses and Elias, they were there that day on the mountain at the transfiguration. Folks, they were recognizable. <laughs> James and John and Peter, they knew, they knew exactly who they were. Even though they'd been dead for ages, they knew who they were. They were recognizable. And I'm saying to you that that should let us know that people know each other after they've left this world. People are recognizable. Probably one of the greatest events in all of history. We won't read it all. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you see, if I answer that question for you this evening, will I know you in heaven? Will you know me in heaven? I believe yes. I believe we can know that because of reassuring scriptures, because of related stories dealing with that topic that's been given to us by Jesus himself because of returned saints that have come back to this world and be recognized when they were here. And folks, most of all and above all, because of a resurrected Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just as chapter 13 is often referred to as the love chapter, chapter 15 is often referred to as the resurrection chapter. Reading just the first few verses there, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Notice. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. 
and that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Paul says, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. You see, from the time that Jesus Christ rose from the grave until he left this earth, the fact is, is that he was seen of a lot of people. And then even after he left this world, the apostle Paul is one born out of time. On the road to Damascus that day, he saw Jesus, and he knew exactly who Jesus was. You see, the only reason we have the hope is because Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And after Jesus rose again, he was known. There were a couple of times that he chose to keep them from knowing for a time until something was right for him, but people knew who he was. He was known of man when he came. You see, at that time, Jesus was no longer mere flesh and blood as we know it. He was a spiritual being, yet he was still recognizable to those who had only known him in the flesh before. We must remember that the flesh dies because of sin. The flesh dies because of sin, and our new state is a spiritual being. Now, Jesus Christ died for our sins. Our flesh dies for its own sin. I'm saying to you that, yes, I will know you and you will know me, but I believe the Bible is clear that relationships aren't going to be the same as what we know them in this world. You see, the relationships that we know here in the flesh, we're not going to be in the flesh any longer. We're going to be in the spirit. Spiritually, I'll no longer be the son of Larry and Virginia Curtis. I'll be the son of God, a child of God. Spiritually, I'll no longer be the groom of Jane Curtis, but I'll be the bride of Jesus Christ. The relationships we know are different. And there are many verses that attest to that. Folks, I believe I will know you in heaven. I believe that is a certainty. I believe that we'll know each other better than we've ever known each other before. We're going to know each other without all of the sorrow, without all of the sin. We're going to know each other in a way to where that never again will your pastor let you down or fail you as he does in the flesh. We're going to know each other when that which is perfect has come. When we're in that glorified state, no, our relationships won't be the same. You definitely won't have any need of a pastor anymore. <laughs> there won't be any need for our church relationships as we have down here now. What do we know about it? Well, I want to give you two verses in closing. What will our actual form be like? 
Well, I know in some way, though I know a lot less about it than I do know about it, I know that it's going to be like Jesus. Notice what the Bible says in 1 John and chapter 3. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I'm saying, folks, we can't even begin to imagine it. But when he comes back, when this old fleshly body is put away and we've got that new glorified body, that sinless body, the Bible says, there might be a lot more questions than we have answers, but we do know this. Whatever it's going to be like in heaven with each other and knowing each other, the Bible says we're going to be like him. And it tells us something else, and it's not contradictory. I think there again, you know, we're trying to get our minds around something that we can't. But notice this other passage in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Notice what the Word of God says for us. You notice in verse 29, it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So, preacher, how can we be like Jesus and like the angels at the same time? Well, I think he's specifically showing us here that, folks, angels aren't male or female, man or woman. Are we going to know each other? I think, I think better than ever before. But we're trying to think in a fleshly mind. We're trying to think in, in, in ways, you know, that somehow, you know, what does this mean? Well, I've heard it said a number of times that, yeah, we're going to all be 33 years old. There won't be any babies. There won't be any old people. We're going to all be 33 years old. Folks, there's no Scripture to support that. Why do people say that? Well, because that's the age Jesus was when he left. That's supposed to be the perfect age and all those good things. What's being forgotten is this. Why, why do you think there would be an age if you're talking about eternity? <laughs> only reason we count years is because <laughs> we're limited in the number we've got. <laughs> it only matters because we've got a limited time. It only matters in the flesh. Our spiritual lives are eternal. They don't age. Years have nothing to do with it whatsoever. So, you know, David knew he was going to see his infant baby. I believe that's true. I believe that brings a lot of comfort to parents that lose infants in this life before they come to that age of accountability for their own sin. Truth is, is that I don't see anybody here this evening that's an infant. And as we look around, the thing is, is that we may not understand a lot. 
Why does he say we're like Jesus? Why does he say we're like angels? Well, I believe it's just giving us examples. Angels are not man or woman. Angels, angels don't bear children. You see, there's so much Scripture that would confirm the fact that believers will know each other in heaven. But the key is to be a believer. The child will be there with absolute certainty. But the parent, will I see you in heaven? The parent can only be assured of that reunion through the new birth, through the spiritual birth, because this flesh is going to die one day. And if that's the only life that you have, you see, I can't answer it any better than this. Well, I know you in heaven better than ever as long as you're sure you're going to be there to join me. Because that's the only question in it. Not whether we'll know each other, but as to whether we'll be there. I believe the Bible, these are all just simple things, folks. It's one of those things that, you know, that there's just so many, so many things in the Bible that we go to that I believe the Bible shows us with absolute certainty, not because of a misquoted verse that says we're going to know as we were known. No, that verse is very important in the matter. I will be known. But the Scripture there is talking about I'm going to be able to know in the same way that I am known now, in the way that God knows me now. We will know each other in that way with no sin, with no possibility of it. This evening, if you know with certainty that you're a child of God, that you've been born again, and you're going to have to put up with me in heaven because I plan on being there, folks. <laughs> and I don't think it's too far away. And I look forward to it. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I enjoy living. I'm not looking forward to, you know, whacking myself off or anything like that. You know, I, I, you know, I guess, you know, you've heard me tell the story before of, you know, the deacons sitting on the front row. And, and, and a lot of the churches used to do that. All the deacons lined up right there on the front row so they could amen the preacher real good while he was up there preaching. The preacher asked him, how many of them, how many of them want to go to heaven? Everybody wants to go to heaven, stand to your feet, he said. Everybody stood up except, man, one of his most faithful deacons sitting there. He just kept, kept his seat. Preacher asked him, said, you know, Brother Bob, Joe, Jill, whatever your name is, said, do you want to go to heaven? He said, well, sure, preacher, I want to go to heaven. He said, I thought you was getting a train load up to go right now, though. I was going to wait to the next load, you know. <laughs> and I think most of us, we don't look forward to leaving this world. That's what the Apostle Paul, there's this this battle, we sure look forward to the next one. We'd rather go with the rapture than by way of the grave. I can assure you that. I'm not afraid of death, but I'm not anxious to leave this world. I'm just anxious. I am anxious to be with my Lord. I am anxious to have that glorified body. I'm anxious that we can all know each other better than we've ever known each other, that we can know each other in a way where there'll be no sin, no letdowns, no failings, or friends let each other down. If even somebody that was a remote friend can honestly read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and really grasp what love is all about, 
God doesn't love us because we deserve it. We could not be more undeserving. But it's because he loves us so totally, unconditionally, that gives us the opportunity to love him in return. Folks, that's what it really is all going to hinge on. Everything else is worthless. All that knowledge and all those prophecies and everything else without love because God loved you enough to choose you. You've got to love him enough. If you know him, you will love him. And if you love him, you're going to be in heaven. And one day we're going to all be there and we'll all know each other for eternity. Let's sing for our closing hymn tonight. Again, it's a great old song. Uh, I love it, though. I can remember it was around a long time before I was. Uh, but it's still one that we can sing together this evening, which says, In the Sweet, By and By. Mm-hmm.